Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in our text of this morning, Jacob is leaving Haran finally to go back to the land of promise. He's coming out of a kind of slavery to Laban to go to the land of promise. And as you read through the scriptures, you see these patterns which repeat smaller ones set within bigger ones, kind of like fractals. You see the theme coming back in different ways, in different shapes, in different sizes. The theme of liberation, exodus, and the promise of land and a people. You saw it with Abraham. He was called out of slavery to the idols. He was called to go to the land of promise. You see it with Israel. They are called out of slavery in Egypt and led to the land of promise. You see it with Israel again later on in the New Testament when they are called out of exile and brought back to the land of promise. And so there's this theme that you see in smaller and larger expressions of God bringing his people home. And all of those instances fit into the great big theme, the great story of the world. That in Christ, the Father liberates us from sin. He takes us out of slavery and out of the dominion of sin and brings us to a new world full of God's children. And so as we look at Jacob today, we're not just looking at some nomadic herdsman from four, almost 4,000 years ago, but we're seeing the work of God pictured as he continues to work today in history and in your life, in our life. And so look at verse 25, and if you have your Bible open, it's a long text. It'll help you to, to figure out what's going on if you have your Bible handy. Verse 25 of chapter 30, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph. This is the end of the 14th year. Jacob has owned his two wives Mission accomplished, he was sent by his mom and by his dad and by God to go and get a wife. <clears throat> and he's got four of them now. It's time to go home. Time to go to my own home and country. Now, last Sunday, we heard a lot about the sin and the brokenness in Jacob's life and in Jacob's family. It was pretty heavy, but this sinful, imperfect man is at the same time a man of faith. He's very much like us, our father Jacob. We're, we're sinners and we, we fail and fall short in so many ways. Our hope is not in how good we are. Our hope is in the Lord. And, and Jacob, for all his imperfections, continues to put his trust in the Lord. He says, I want to go home to my own home and country. Well, that's a statement of faith because Canaan is not his home. The patriarchs, Isaac in this case, is a stranger and a sojourner there. The people of God at this point in history, all they own in the land of promise is a graveyard. That's all they've got. And yet he says, that's my home, that's my country. That's a, war, a, a, a confession of faith. So Jacob is imperfect. There's lots of sin in his life, and we looked at that last time. He's an imperfect uh, believer, but he is a believer. He holds on to the promises. 
and he is obedient to the promises and commands of his father Isaac. Isaac said, go and get yourself a wife. God told him to go and get a wife. And the fact that he's going back now is, is shown also to be a, a question of faith, a matter of faith, because back in Genesis chapter 27, when Rebekah sent him away, Rebekah said, I'll send you a messenger when Esau's anger has abated and when it's safe to come back. Now, that was 14 years ago, and she hasn't sent the messenger yet, and yet Jacob says, I'm going back. So there's faith. He trusts in God's provision and protection. What will contrast the faith of our father Jacob with the life of Laban. Look at verse 27 there. Laban, Laban of course, lives by his God, which is Mammon. He, whenever there's money or material wealth involved, Laban's right there. He's lined up. He's running to meet you. And Laban, he figures out how to live by his desires and by divination. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And so Laban says, stay, not because he wants Jacob's, uh, wants what is good for Jacob. Laban says, stay, because he wants what is good for Laban. You, you happen to be someone that brings great benefit to my life, so I don't want you to go away. There he is, looking to his false gods, looking for signs, and worshiping mammon. Now, you didn't need a lot of divination to figure out what was going on. And Jacob points that out in verse 30. He says, look, before I came, you had very little. So you don't need to do all kinds of divination to figure out that my arrival is connected to the blessing of the Lord which came upon you. God often does that, doesn't he? God often blesses others through the presence of his people, often through the honest, faithful service of the children of God, communities, countries, nations, cultures, businesses are blessed. And that counts for us today as well. People should be able to notice if, for instance, there's a Christian employee at your place of work, they should be able to notice something about that. There should be built-in blessing as you do your work faithfully and you do it for God's glory and for the good of those around you. So there's been blessing. Now Jacob, what has he gotten out of all of this? Well, he has wives and he has children, but he has no inheritance. He's got nothing in terms of material wealth. He doesn't get anything from Laban except the two maids that were given to him. And he needs provisions for his household. So you have two men with very different things that they're looking for. Laban wants increased wealth because of God's blessing on Jacob. But Jacob wants enough material goods in order to be able to provide for his family when he starts traveling. And so they negotiate and they negotiate the wages shall be the goats with the white spots and speckles and the lambs who are black. And and there's a reason for that, because normally the goats would be dark, so a goat with a little bit of white speck or spots on it would, would, would be unusual, less usual. And usually the lambs would be white. And so if you have a black lamb, that would be unusual. So it's very easy to see, Jacob says, I'm not ripping you off, you can just look at what I've got. 
and you'll be able to tell that I'm not cheating you, I'm not deceiving you. And so the bargain is struck, the wages are concluded, the wage discussion, the salary discussion is concluded with an agreement, and Laban immediately cheats. He removes exactly those black lambs and those uh, goats that have white spots and speckles on them and stripes, he removes them a three days journey. And that would be like from here to Lacombe or from here to Red Deer. So they go on a, on a long walk with the flocks. And Jacob, if, 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 if those spotted and speckled and striped goats and those black lambs are down in Red Deer, it's kind of hard to, to have them uh, produce and breed for you when you're up here in, in St. Albert. And so it begins a six-year process. And despite what Laban did, look at verse 43, God provides abundant increase. The man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, we need to understand if we, maybe some here might even have a goat. I don't know if you live on an acreage uh, you might have a lamb or a goat, but it tends to be kind of an afterthought in, in our kind of modern life. But in those days, in, this, in the context in which Jacob lived, the goats and the lambs, the flocks and the herds represented your bank account. It was your wealth. And you read, of course, for instance, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23, it says, take care of your herds because the goat will be the price of a field and you could sell the lambs or use the lambs for clothing for your household. This is, this is his bank account, basically, and it's growing and growing and growing. There's great blessing and great abundance from God. Now, how, how did this happen? Well, you look at the end of chapter 30, and from verse 37 to 42, God sets forth the way in which Jacob became very wealthy in lambs, in sheep, and in goats. And when, we, when you read it at first, you think, well, what's going on here? What's going on here? It's, it's very strange. And, you, you know, even if we just have high school science, we look at that and say, well, how can putting a white stick in front of a goat that is breeding, how can that change the color of the offspring? This is very, very strange. Well, there's a number of things I want to say about this because you were tempted perhaps to think, well, the Bible says it, so even though it's totally, it seems to be totally against the way that the world works, I guess it was just a miracle then. But we, we have to be careful with uh, just simply taking that kind of an approach to a, a difficult text. God in the scriptures reproves superstition and magic. You think, just before our text, for instance, of, of the mandrakes. You remember the mandrakes? And then Rachel said, I, I want those mandrakes, and then you can have Jacob tonight. Those mandrakes were, were seen to have some kind of magical power for fertility. And in the story of Rachel and Leah, Rachel gets the mandrakes, but Leah gets pregnant. And so God's telling us something. He's mocking the superstition of those that believe in magic and in idols. You see it in our text again today. Laban has the household gods, but Jacob gets 
the blessing because he serves the true God. So we're not looking at some kind of a magical thing here where Jacob does some kind of a ritual which will magically give him some, some abundance or some wealth. There's a lot more happening here than first meets the eye. And so one of the things we need to pay attention to is verse 37. He took fresh sticks of poplar, elm, plane trees, peeled white streaks, exposed the white sticks. Now he gets the goats with the white spots and speckles and stripes. This is interesting. This is important because Laban means white. The word Laban, the name Laban is the name white. That's the meaning of his name. And so it's a little bit of a joke here that the, 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 the Bible is poking a little bit of fun at Laban because Laban took the wages and brought them away, and Jacob is labaning the flocks. He's whitening the flocks. He's getting those spotted and speckled and striped anyway. Now, how does it happen? Well, look at chapter 31, verse 5. Jacob recognizes that it's not magic, and it's not his work, but look at verse 31, chapter 31, verse 5. He says, Your father uh, does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. So he attributes the blessing to God. Look at verse 7 of chapter 31. Your father cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. And then he says, if Laban said the spotted will be your wages, the flock bore spotted. If he said the striped shall be your wages, the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father. God has. So when we read that, then we know that Jacob doesn't think as he's whittling these sticks and stripping off the bark, he doesn't think, I am making this happen, or the sticks are making this happen. He attributes it to the blessing of God. God is at work. And then you look at verse 9. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given it to me. That The word taken away there literally means liberated. So God has liberated your father Laban's property, set it free so that it can be mine and yours, Rachel and Leah. It can be ours. And then you look at verse 10 of chapter 31. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel of God says, Jacob, look. God calls Jacob's attention. He says, look, the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God sees Laban ripping off Jacob, and God says, I'm going to so ordain things that Jacob, the flock that he's taking care of, will produce the kind of sheep and goats that are part of his wages. So it's certainly the work of God. It's the blessing of God. It is the sovereign will of God that these spotted and speckled and striped are being born into the flock that Jacob is taking care of. Now, this does not mean to say that Jacob just sat there and said, well, God will bless me and I'll just wait and see what happens. I'll just put my hammock between two trees and lie there and, and, and wait for the blessing. We read chapter 31, verse 40. You remember what Jacob said, 31, verse 40. 
There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. Jacob is working his fingers to the bone. He's working hard. So Jacob's hard work and God's blessing produces great abundant flocks. And part of Jacob's work, as he did it in faith, was to lift up his eyes and see that the spotted and speckled goats were breeding. He had to lift up his eyes and see. That's what God tells him to do. And so one possibility, there are all kinds of possibilities here of what's going on, but one possibility is that Jacob is a prophet. The the scriptures call him a prophet. The Lord told him to lift up his eyes and see the stripes spotted and mottled. And so it's eminently possible that God gave him the ability to see the underlying genetic makeup of those stronger goats that had the ability to produce the speckled offspring and that he could see that by God's revelation. That's certainly a possibility. We don't know, but that God told them to see it might lead us to that conclusion. But there's more. What about the sticks? And so this week I spent quite a bit of time reading uh, research papers from agricultural universities, which is not usually my area of study, but I learned some very interesting things, that, that there are certain types of trees, poplar and willow, for instance, that if you take off the outer layer, the bark, then uh, I think it's the cambium is, is what it's called, that white layer just under the bark has anti-inflammatory properties. In fact, that's where we get originally aspirin from. Aspirin is now synthesized. It's made in a lab. But before we had aspirin, we had what was under the willow bark, that white stuff, and it has that same basic chemical compound in it, which uh, reduces inflammation. It has health benefits. So there's Jacob, and he's making sure that the sheep and the goats that he wants are getting the healthy stuff. And it's in the water. As they chew on it and as they drink the water that it's been in, they're getting medicine. Okay, so we we ought not to think, you know, we sometimes think, well, 4,000 years ago, nomads, you know, these guys didn't know anything. We have this kind of idea that as moderns, we are at the apex of knowledge and ability. That's simply not true. That's simply not true. That's golden age syndrome that we think we're in the golden age and everything before us is inferior. It's not true. The Romans, thousands of years ago, produced things that made out of a concrete which we cannot reproduce today, a concrete which is better than the concrete that engineers can make use today. Think of the cathedrals that were built and the acoustics that were built in centuries past, and we can't reproduce it. So it's not always that in the past was worse than the present. And we certainly shouldn't think that people back 4,000 years ago didn't know about breeding and about medicinal properties of certain plants. They certainly did. And so not just the medicinal properties here might be at play, but I read another study from a university out of New Zealand, which is very interesting. A bunch of sheep that were in drought conditions in a pasture, drought pasture, were fed poplar leaves and poplar sticks, exactly what Jacob gave to his sheep. And the conclusion of the study was that those sheep that had that extra nourishment and nutrition 
produce 20 to 30% more offspring than the sheep that didn't get that extra nutrition. Anyway, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes as you study these things, but the point is, this is not just some kind of a magical thing that's happening, but God often uses means to bring about uh, impressive and, and great and abundant results, and that's what's certainly happening in this moment as well. The specifics we can think about, but certainly God is using the physical properties of these sticks to help Jacob produce a strong and an abundant, a large flock. And so here, through hard work, through deep knowledge of his area of expertise, through God's revelation and through God's blessing, through all those things together, Jacob ensures that the strongest and healthiest mate with the right genes to produce the spotted goats and the, and the black lambs. And that's often how God still blesses today. He, he doesn't just throw money down from heaven. He doesn't give us a, a lottery win so that suddenly we have all kinds of wealth. In fact, the Bible says that sudden riches is actually a curse. God blesses us through our hard work, through the application of our knowledge and study, and together with his blessing, he gives abundance and wealth. And so there in chapter 31, verse 1, the sons of Laban look at all of this. They see how Jacob has grown in wealth, and they're jealous. Now, they're, they're envious. It's not as though they have nothing. They just don't like it that Jacob has more. And that's, that's, a real, that's a real typical thing to the human heart, isn't it? Where, you know, a child might have 10 candies, and the child might think, man, am I rich? I've got 10 candies. And they're happy. And then all of a sudden, they look over, and their, their brother has 15 candies, and suddenly 10 candies is nothing. Why am I so poor? Why does my brother have more, right? That's, that's human nature. And I'm not just blaming the children. We adults do exactly the same thing. We just disguise it, and we're more sophisticated about how we do it. And so they're envious, and, and Laban is envious. He does not regard Jacob with favor. And things are heating up here for conflict. And so God says, it's time to go. Return to the land of your fathers. Now, Jacob could have said, God, my fathers don't have a land. All they have is a burial plot. But, God, but, but Jacob knows exactly what God means. It's the land promised to your fathers. Go. It's time to go. And so it's another going forth, right? About 250 years before this, Abraham left Haran to go to the land of promise. Now there's another going forth in faith from Haran, like Abraham. Jacob goes to the land of promise. And, and, and it, what kind of sets this off is that Laban and his sons are getting itchy trigger fingers. They're getting upset, they're getting angry, and they're going to start doing something about this. And God often does that. God often brings conflict or, or trial or affliction into our lives to push us, to nudge us in the direction that he wants us to go. It's not always a bad thing. If something goes wrong, something God's saying, well, think about where you need to be going. What do you need to do because this is happening? And this is sometimes a way that God leads us. And so Jacob calls Rachel and Leah, notice the order, Rachel first, the beloved wife, then Leah, into the field where the flock was kept. So they have to go away from the, the servants and from any somebody that, that might be overhearing. They have to speak in secret. 
And this is going to be a big production. They've got, he's got wives and children and male servants and female servants and camels and sheep and, and goats. He's, that's a big thing to sneak away in the middle of the night. I mean, if you just sneak away by yourself, that's easy. But if you sneak away with a large group, you need to do a lot of planning. And Jacob explains what has been happening. Laban has oppressed and God has blessed me. And he, he reminds or he, he shares with his wives that dream that we already referred to. Now look in verse 11 of chapter 31. Look in, in verse 11, chapter 31. The angel of God said to me. And then look at verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. So here's this angel, the angel of God. And the angel of God says to Jacob, I, the angel of God, am the God of Bethel. And so it's a likely conclusion that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of God, appearing, as he often does in the Old Testament, as the angel of the Lord, the angel of God. He is the Lord of history. He is the Lord of Jacob's life. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his pre-incarnate state, is involved in the details of his own ancestors. He is driving history forward towards his own birth and death and resurrection. And he says to Jacob, go to the promised land, go to Bethel, because that is the house of God. That's where God wants to live in the midst of his people in this world. You consecrated a temple there, a place of worship, Bethel, the house of God. Now get back there. That's where you belong. And Rachel and Leah perhaps surprisingly agree. And so a lot has happened in these 14 or these 20 years. A lot has happened to change their opinion about Jacob and to change their opinion about Laban. They don't like what Laban has done. He has sold us. They're not too happy. I can't imagine the conversation at the original switch where Rachel was told, well, you're not going to be going into Jacob's room tonight. It'll be Leah instead. I can't imagine the stress and conflict that would have caused amongst Laban, Rachel, and Leah. And then since then, all the conflict. And they've had enough of it. He's sold us like chattel, like, like slaves. He sold us to you. And we have nothing. Now, normally, a, a groom would give a, a dowry, or the family would also give, sorry, the family would give a dowry, and that would be protection for the woman. If the husband died or if the husband left the woman, she would have that to fall back onto. But Rachel and Leah have received nothing. Laban got 14 years of Jacob's hard work. He got all that value. But Rachel and Leah have no money in the bank, so to speak. They have nothing to fall back on. And so he has devoured all our money, say Rachel and Leah. So they don't have a good relationship with their father. And we see again, God works all things for good. The sons of Jacob must go to the promised land. And they must be part of the work of building up the Old Testament people of God, the church from which the Christ will be born. And so that broken relationship with Laban pushes Rachel and Leah out of the door and in the right direction. And there he goes, verse 21 of chapter 31. He fled with all that he had. He set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. He fled from worldliness and idolatry to the promised land. And what did he have there? Nothing. 
just promises. There's no land there. There's no people. There's just promises. And, and so Jacob goes in a lot of faith. And so the, the travel, the journey that he does here as he escapes from Laban, from Haran to the hill country of Gilead, is about from here to Lethbridge or from here to the border, the U.S. border just beyond Lethbridge. It's a, it's a fair hike. And he does that with all these herds. He, he probably had his herds already in that direction, and then he hopped on the camels, and they could go a little faster. But there they go, and there they arrive in the promised land, right on the border. And there's Laban. He finds out, gathers his kinsmen, obviously with weapons. He's beside himself. He, as, he, as he talks to Jacob here in our text, you can see how upset he is. He, he, he can hardly, he's all over the place in his remonstrations and pleadings and, and anger and, and, and expressions of love towards his, and tenderness towards his children and grandchildren. He's a very confused man. He's, he's enraged, he's frustrated, he's got this sense of loss, and he's going to do something to Jacob. He's ready to do something, but God says, you shall not touch my anointed ones, you shall do my prophets no harm. We sang about that just before the sermon. If God doesn't want you to be hurt, no one can touch you. The whole world can be angry. The whole world can be out to destroy you. If God doesn't want you touched, no one can touch you. And if God decides that you will suffer for his name, then nothing that you can do can change that. So what we're called to do is just travel on in obedience, the obedience of faith like our father Jacob. And there's Jacob. He's, he's fleeing from idolatry. But he's doing it the way we flee from sin, isn't he? Because he's right along with him in the saddlebag, idolatry comes along. He's fleeing from the world of idolatry into the promised land where God is worshipped, Bethel, the house of God, and the idols come along. Isn't that how we often do things? We kind of have our favorite little sins which come along in the saddlebag because it takes time for the idols in our hearts and in our lives to die. It takes time to give them up. And so there in verse 34 of chapter 31, there's Laban. He's, he's feeling all around the tent. And the, the verb used here is the same verb used for when Isaac was kind of feeling Jacob and saying, is this Jacob or is this Esau? He's, he's in the dark. Here is this man, like a blind man, and the, the blindness and the darkness of superstition and unbelief. He's looking for his weak gods. Who, who stole my gods? Who carried away my gods? Who, who's hiding my gods under a blanket somewhere? And there's God, the true God, making fun of, of idolatry, making fun of the pathetic and weak and powerless idols that we sinners trust in. And so they set up that heap. Verse 52 is a monument there on the border of the promised land. It's a heap of witness. And Laban says, come on, let's have this ecumenical service. The God of our grandfathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. Let's have this ecumenical service between, between us to show that we're really one in religion. Do you notice what Jacob does? He doesn't swear by the God of Abraham or the God of Nahor. He swears by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob says, I'm not going there. I'm not with you and your idolatry. I serve the true and the living God. He makes it very clear who he serves and in whom he believes. That's an important lesson for us, brothers and sisters. You know, we, we live in a world where there's a lot of diversity and religion in our culture, and there may be a great temptation sometimes to just 
accept people's words. I've had it so often that people say, well, of course, Pastor, but, but, but all religions in a way lead to God, right? And who wants to be the person that says no? Who wants, that's kind of awkward to be the person that says something negative. We want to say, no, we're all together. We're all united. We all seek the same thing. And the Bible says, no, that's not true. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. And outside of him, apart from that name, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And so our father Jacob shows his faith there in that vow that he makes to the fear of his father Isaac. And so there's that heap of witness. It, it marks the boundary of the promised land. He, he doesn't own it yet, but here he is like a king negotiating a peace treaty with the surrounding peoples. And there again, it's a work of faith. It's looking forward to the promises. Laban goes home without blessing, without daughters, without gods, and without flocks. There's a massive loss there in his life. And Jacob goes on. He goes on traveling in faith. And you look at the next chapter here. He goes on traveling in faith and he meets with the angels in the land of promise. That's the verse, first verses of chapter 32. God is at work. God is at work Heaven is at work on earth in Jacob's life. Remember that ladder. And so in your life, with all its failures and sins, with all your imperfect faith, yet it is still faith. No matter how weak, God is at work. God is carrying out his plan. God is fulfilling his promises in Christ. It's hard to see sometimes. But Jacob believes anyway. And that pattern repeats itself. It's easier for us now. We have the whole record of what God has done in Christ in the last thousands of years. We see the big picture. We know that Christ has come. He was born. He suffered. He died. He rose. He ascended. We know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We have way more information than Jacob. But yet, at the same time, we know what he feels like to live by faith, to live by the promise. Because the church is small. And we have not yet inherited the earth. We have these great and precious promises in Christ, but they involve a lot of opposition from those who hate God. And there is, we still got to deal with the hard things of living in a broken world. We deal with our old nature, which is one of our worst enemies. And there's a lot of hard work to be a Christian. There are sleepless nights, and there's dealing with conflict in our own hearts, in our own, own homes, and amongst the family of God. And of course, conflict with sin in the world around us. And faith is following God's direction, even when it means everything is uncertain, even when it means waiting and waiting and waiting for promises to be fulfilled. Jacob had to wait 20 years. Rebecca said, go there, spend a few days. It was 20 years. God said to him, I'll be with you. I'll make your journey successful. I'll bring you back. It was 20 years. And sometimes you may be feeling that in your life. Lord, why is this taking so long? Why does this hurt so much? And why don't you get rid of this problem in my life? And God says, wait, wait on the Lord. Because you don't get to tell God what his timeline is. You get to be faithful in your calling. Wait on the Lord. Live in the obedience of faith. And there is great blessing in that. There is built-in blessing. Even in the greatest afflictions and dangers, you go on in faith because God is leading you home. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass, says the scripture. So we're going to sing Psalm 121 now.
And it talks about our journey, our pilgrimage to be home with God. And along the way, are there blessings? Yes, there are lots of blessings. Are there hard things, painful things? Yes, there are lots of those as well. Sometimes there's feasting, sometimes there's famine, sometimes there's abundance, sometimes there's lack. Sometimes there's health, sometimes there's sickness. Sometimes the way is easy and pleasant. Sometimes it is incredibly hard, and we say, Lord, I can't go on. God says, look, focus one step at a time. One day at a time. Remember our father Jacob. Lift up your eyes to the hill country. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Those hills are in the promised land. Lift up your eyes and see what God is doing. Lift up your eyes and see that God is a God who is near. That God is a God who keeps his promises. That God is a God who leads you on the way. That God gives you bread to eat and clothing to wear and a lot more. And that God will do all that he has promised you and will bring you back to your father's house in peace. Amen.